The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All information contained on or related to this podcast is for general information purposes only. Welcome to our first episode. I'm Lisa. And I'm Chantel. And this is Guts. And Glory. Yes. Where we talk about all things IBD, Crohn's, and ulcerative colitis. And ileitis too, because you know what? Why not? Or ulcerative proctitis, or constipation. If it's a problem with your butt, then we're going to let you know. We're going to talk about about it. it. We're going to talk about it. So let's dig in. Um, so we thought for our first episode that we would get into our backgrounds a little bit and why this podcast was so appealing to both of us. Yes. And, uh, we decided with the help of a very official coin flip that I would go first and tell my story. (laughs) So, um, so hi everyone. I am 47 years old and I am in pretty good shape. I have Crohn's disease. Uh, and I've had it since I was nine years old. Chantel, I don't know if you know this or not, but I was actually in grade two when I started feeling, uh, something that, uh, I thought maybe at first was just nerves or something Uh, you ate. Yeah. I was in grade two and I didn't like going out for recess all the time because I felt like maybe, uh, the I wouldn't be picked for some kind of uh, soccer baseball team. Like and Red so, Rover? When yeah, you yeah, yeah. To play I was that? just, yeah, I was, a, <laughs> I was afraid. I don't know if kids are allowed to play that now or if, uh, if any of you kids listening even know what Red Rover is, if that's a game of um, don't play it. Your ancestors. Oh my God, I feel old. Uh, but yeah, I started feeling like uh, I needed an excuse to stay in from recess, and I loved my teacher. So I, in my mind, I created this problem that I had with my stomach mm. and, uh, and I, t- I didn't tell my mom about it. I only told my teacher about it. Cause if I told my mom about it, they would cross reference and I wouldn't be able to stay in at recess. They'd so, catch you in your lives. Yeah. And you being a teacher, you can I know exactly. relate. Chantel's a teacher. <laughs> so I'm actually giving confession too. Um, but then as fate would have it. Uh, that summer I started feeling real pain and I thought, wow, this is karma kicking my butt. Mm. I don't know if I called it karma at the time, but I thought I deserved it. And, uh, I started going into the hospital. I started having moments where I would pass out or I would gap out. Uh, I was, my mom took me to sick kids hospital in Toronto and there I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease after two years of a very intense series of, um, exams for a nine-year-old child. I mean, they, yeah. Crohn's treatment and IBD treatment at that time was sort of in its primitive It's uncomfortable stages. as an adult. I yeah. can't imagine what it have been as a child. Yeah. yeah, this is back in the 70s when biopsies were done when you were awake. awake. Yeah, and, um, and they would trick you and tell you they weren't doing a biopsy so they could get you to settle down enough to do one. So it's pretty terrifying. And then when I had the um, diagnosis... Things didn't get too much better because yeah. then you have to deal with it, right? And there really was no 
hard and fast way to deal with it back then. I went on silazepirin. Mm -hmm. I went on prednisone. Mm. But uh, suffice to say, I dealt with it throughout my teens. I had surgery at 19 years of age. What was your surgery? I had an ileocolic resection. What's that? Uh, I had four inches of intestine removed where the large intestine joins the small intestine. Like so the near your ileum? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing to experience the health that came on the other side of that, but it didn't end my, certainly didn't end my life with Crohn's. I had flare-ups a couple of years later. And I will say... Go so, ahead. So the surgery, did they, they cut out the four inches? They cut out the four inches. Did they I wish to right God away? that I had asked for, to see them. I can't believe, because I, I would like to have seen what was inside my body. And what it looked like. Maybe yeah. make a nice keychain out of it. I'm earrings. big with that. Me too. Yeah. I'm very big. So, so if you're listening out there and you have a surgery coming up, you can ask for See them. the diseased intestine. Yeah, you can retain that piece. If you have a strong <laughs> stomach, you might want to know what you're up against or what you've been up against. Frame it. Put it on the wall. Yeah, it's centerpiece. It's modern art. Never, if anyone ever questions you on it, you know. So did they reattach right away? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. I had no ostomy bag. I had a small incision where the drain was. And I, uh, yeah, I healed up pretty nicely. I do have a very intense scar though. Because and what age was this again? This was 19. 19. Now they do the scars with a little, they do like, laparoscopic yeah. surgery. And so you wind up with a cute little thing that nobody would even know that you had it uh, done. But I have a substantial roadmap on my stomach. So you had flares after that? I did have flares after that. Yeah. As significant as that one that made you have surgery? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Some of them were pretty bad. Uh, at my worst, I had I was down to 95 pounds and I couldn't move. I, I, that, I should say that after the surgery, the thing that I suffered from a lot was the arthritis, the swelling around my joints. Yes. Um, so I would, my Which legs a, would blow up. Which is a very intense symptom oh, of Crohn's gosh. and ulcerative colitis that yeah. sometimes our doctors don't tell us about at first. No. It was difficult to walk. Uh, and I was so independent. I was living on my own in Toronto and I was going to school and I wanted it to stay that way because uh, I, I was from Oshawa and I did not want to move back into my parents' house and my You're parents were You're in the big city older. now. Yeah, I felt a, I, I was loving that independence. Yeah. yeah. So I put up with it for two years in an apartment in Toronto trying to work. Um, and it was very difficult, but I will say that I discovered in that time what an important role stress played in my disease mm -hmm. and maintaining a balanced level uh, and my attitude and a positive attitude, how important that was challenging as hell, but super important to I agree. Wellness. Stress has been my number one trigger, mm -hmm. not food. Stress. Yes. Talk about that for Stress. a bit. Where, where do you, first of all, let's back up. You tell your story because I hogged the mic there. So, and, I, and your story <laughs> is okay. more immediate. So hello everybody. My name is Chantel. I am 29. I was diagnosed nine years ago in 2007. Um, I was 20 at the time, right in the middle of university. And you were diagnosed with what? I was originally diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Um, I had no idea what that was. Mm -hmm. I, I, and you know, I, I'm a pretty educated person. I thought I was decently smart when it came to medical things. And uh, my doctor wrote this on a piece of paper, like a little tiny piece, of, like a little yeah. bit bigger than a sticky note. 
said you have ulcerative colitis and sent me home. Actually told me to Google it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's what you get. You're well, like, I Googled it. Got. And Google tells you you're dying. Always. Right? Nosebleed. Dying. Yep. Like every, you know, <laughs> everything. Everything's happening. Sty in your eye. Dying. Like this is going to cause a brain tumor. You're going to die. So I didn't know what ulcerative colitis was. Um, the first couple of years, I was actually okay. Uh, not okay, but uh, I was taking 5-ASA, uh, enemas, suppositories. Oh, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. Twice a day. Love it. Um, oral tablets. Um, I was on prednisone, of course. Um, I was told to be careful with my diet, like look for those foods, those trigger foods, which there were. There were foods that I knew upset me. Um, so I wouldn't eat them as much or I would just avoid them completely. And I was okay for a few years. I managed to get through university. I did, my number one symptom, I had a lot of blood in my stool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and and that's, that's terrifying. It's terrifying because you have no idea where this is coming from. Yeah. And sometimes you don't even have pain. You just have blood. Yeah. I had significant amount of blood. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was close enough to needing a transfusion at one point, actually. So I'm young, I'm in university, I'm trying to get in teacher's college. Stress was at its highest point. I was in a relationship that was abusive in many ways. So that on top of university, on top of applications, on top of just being a young 20-something, mm -hmm. um, I wasn't managing my life very well, which I think is what caused a lot of my problems with ulcerative colitis. Yeah. But um, can certainly it certainly can trigger them. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. If, if you, it, uh, it's funny. I, I say like all the time that uh, the disease is a, a curse and a blessing because it forces you to, to look, examine your life in a yes. different way. Yes, and you have to be so critical of your mm -hmm. life too, and accept it, and realize that what you're doing is shit, and you have to change it. Yeah, because it's killing you, literally. Yeah. So um, for the first few years, I was okay. In October 2012, I was really sick. Um, taken to eMERGE by ambulance, not well at all. Um, they did a scan because they actually couldn't get the scope in. I was too swollen. So they did a scan, came back. I had pan colitis. So pan colitis, pan uh, root is all. Colitis, it refers to your large intestine. So pan colitis, so my large intestine was completely inflamed wow. all the way through. Wow. Um, I looked pregnant because it was so swollen outside of my body. Um, my intestines were crushing parts of my other organs. Ugh. So they were afraid that... Um, you know, my spleen would rupture or any of those things. So I was heavily sedated, heavily, lots of medicine for pain just to kind of keep me asleep. Because of course, when I was awake and struggling through the pain, I was clenching and mm. clenching isn't going to help much muscle in the first place. I pulled a muscle in my arm because I was clenching so much. It led to fevers. There was a large infection. Um, again, they put me on, well, IV Mm -hmm. steroids, solumedrol. Right. They put you on solumedrol. Then when you leave the hospital, you go on to prednisone tablets, lots of antibiotics, Cipril, Flagyl, those drugs. Again, more 5-ASAs, Imuran, the methotrexate just pumped me with meds. So just, can you just tell me what your headspace was at that time? Like, I, mean, I didn't what, have a headspace. Did there. you feel like, did you feel like it was there, was anyone telling you there's a light at the end of the tunnel? Or were no, they pretty much no. just... Well, I shouldn't say no. Like, yes, yeah, so I had doctors that came in and said, you know, Chantal, we're going to give you this drug 
and you know we're hopeful that this is going to work or this is the course they were very open with the steps that needed to be taken um but i it was a very outer body experience mm -hmm. like i was physically feeling the pain of the disease but i wasn't mentally accepting what was happening to me yeah. it was literally like i was floating above the whole situation and you st i stayed like that for months you know even when you're at home People think just, oh, you're out of the hospital now, you must be better. And I think that's the hard thing with people with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis that yes. we face is that people assume as soon as we're out of the hospital, or even if we have a flare that we don't need to be hospitalized, that we're better in those moments. And it's not, you know, recuperating from a flare takes months. Um, I've had a flare that's been, you know, that flare particularly was so bad, it never really went away. Mm -hmm. I'm still struggling with it. Just it just blends into the next that's flare. That's right. And yeah. that was 2012, and here I am in 2016. Uh, so 2013 and 2014, especially 2014, were extremely difficult for me. By far the worst two years of my life dealing with Crohn's and colitis. Um, I was told my colitis was really bad my ulcerative colitis was super bad so i flared other meds other meds wasn't getting better months and months later it's almost 2014 now they decide to actually we're into early 2014. i started not feeling well um in my like chest mm -hmm. like where my esophagus is to the point where i couldn't even swallow my own spit and it was different than a sore throat it was literally like my chest, my esophagus was on fire. It was painful. Um, I stopped eating. I stopped drinking. I then got to the point where I started losing weight. You know, I'm still going to work and I'm a teacher. So, you know, the kids see me every day. They're not really noticing, but they can see that my energy levels were dropping. My skin color was changing because I'm getting back to losing blood. Um, they'd, my doctor sends me for a scope down through and up through, you know, okay. double yep. whammy. Endo and Endo colonoscope. And, uh, yeah. Yep. So I was, I was sleeping for that. Thank goodness. I'm usually awake for most of my colonoscopies just because mm -hmm. like you had mentioned, I want to see what is causing yeah. me this pain. Uh, when I woke up, she pulled up a chair beside my bed. Oh, that's never good. Never. Yeah. Because here she is. And I love, I love my doctor. Fireside know. chats at your yes, bed. Yes, here Not she is. Good. You know, I was just waiting for like the Jack Johnson music to turn on. Right. You know, okay. Here it was. <laughs> so she pulled up and, with her, her little chair and she sat down. She took my hand and she said, Chantel, you have deep and wide ulcers all the way through your throat, esophagus, what I can see into your stomach and we can see them in your large colon into your small intestine as well. So, of course, I'm looking at her and I'm like, okay. So the standard question is, what are you gonna do about it? What meds are you putting me on? Okay. Um, so she said, you're severely dehydrated, you know, based on your blood work. We need to give you home care. So we're gonna put you on IV because we obviously, she understood at that point why I wasn't eating or drinking. I couldn't, uh, the pain was excruciating. Mm -hmm. Um, and she said, and this was the, I think this is the moment that I respected her more than I ever have. She said, Chantel, I've never seen this, this bad. I've never seen IBD in the esophagus before. This is beyond me. I'm sending you downtown to Mount Sinai where they have 
doctors who hopefully would have seen this before. So that was a big blow too, because here's my doctor who I trust and she has been really great all these years. So I went downtown to Mount Sinai, a great team of doctors down there. They have a wonderful, you know, IBD area of excellence mm -hmm. at Mount Sinai. So I knew I was in good hands. I trusted my doctor. She wouldn't send me to somebody who would not treat me well. Right. And that, uh, that was 2014. And that's when they told me that in addition to having ulcerative colitis, I already, I also had Crohn's. Welcome. Welcome. Yes. Yes. Here I am. So I had been told that kind of, you know, in 2014 when I was flaring and had pancolitis because it had spread deeper into the lining of my intestines, um, which is very particular to Crohn's disease. But it wasn't anything that I, I, I continued to write on my medical papers when I met somebody new, a doctor, a new doctor, you know, ulcerative colitis. They officially said to me because of the nature of how it had spread um, that I now have Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. That, you know, I'm a perfect host for yeah. both of these illnesses. Um, again, nobody gave me a ribbon. That's fine. Um, Ceremony at a later date, yes, TBD. Yeah, yeah. So, and at this time, just that alone had to have some had to come with a fair amount of emotion for you because you're now ticking off possible solutions, right? Yeah. You're going through drugs, finding that they work for a certain time or not at all. Yeah. And Reacting you're to them. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to think that the year leading up to this point, I had been hospitalized nine times in the, in about 11 months. Um, so and a significant amount of times being hospitalized, like in for a week, in for two weeks, in for three weeks. So I spent a, basically a year in and out of the hospital. So now I'm on home care, you know, I, I, I'm still getting, my nurse is still coming to my house every day, changing my IV. I'm going to work with my IV. I named him Tim. My Aww. Yeah. This, my students were like, Miss Wax, you have a needle in your arm. Like, you know, I'm teaching math with tubes running out of my body. And you're body. pulling a pole around? Well, no, you... I, had, I had a pouch. Oh, okay. I had a pouch. So was it, was, it a, was it like a, a... Like a satchel. Oh, nice. Yes. Okay, so like a messenger bag. It of, was, yes, exactly. Of with, right. Yeah, of course. And, you know, lugging around your fluid, mm -hmm. you know, isn't, I'm sure anybody nope. who's ever had a catheter before, that. they know exactly what that's about. Mm -hmm. So I'm having this done, um, more meds, more meds, more beds. I did start to get better, uh, which was nice. I, my life is now, you know, B12 injections bi-weekly, iron infusions once a month, um, you know, the amount of meds I take orally, I still take suppositories, I still have enemas, I'm not on prednisone anymore, um, and I will not go back on that drug. Um, but in that time, so since 2014, so within the last two years, in addition to being told I have both ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, I've been diagnosed with arthritis, specifically, um, ankylosing spondylitis, which is an arthritis that some of us IBD warriors, uh, are diagnosed with, you know, it's mm -hmm. another autoimmune. It focuses around the spine and the hips, which is a general area of your intestines in the first place. Um, and last year I was told I had fibromyalgia. Oh boy, man. Now, the diagnosis of fibromyalgia, honestly, it didn't even, it didn't even affect me. It didn't phase me at all. Just throw another log yeah. on the fire. And yeah, and I didn't even, and I mean no disrespect to those of you suffering with fibromyalgia, it is awful. But it was now just a name mm -hmm. for the fact that I was in pain all day, every day. Don't you feel like, like uh, too, whenever you have to go and like have a, 
you know, a massage or anytime you get that form or you, they, have, to you fill have it like, out. describe any mm -hmm. conditions that we might need to know about. You're just like, I, I don't have enough space in these lines I never to put do. down all the things. Yeah, nor do I want to tell you about all the problems. I never do. And then the questions that come from the doctors after they've read your sheet of paper yeah. is even like, so you're 29 and you have four <laughs> chronic illnesses and then your list of medications. I never understood it. Why do you give me two lines to write down yeah. my list of medications? You know, and for those of you out there who don't have a list of medication, you know, be grateful. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. Be grateful that you don't sit there. I sit there with my little shopper. You know the little piece of paper you get on the top of the receipt from mm -hmm. your prescriptions? The shopper's piece of paper? Yeah, yeah. That lists all the meds that you've picked up, you know? You just take a photocopy of that around and yeah, just staple just, it. Yeah, just there you go. Yeah. Just... I look I look at my, my, you know, my partner's list and I think the last medication he picked up was like 2011 or something oh, ridiculous. Man. And it was, you know, like basic antibiotics. Oh. And here, here I am like... I asked for, I needed a year. They asked me once for the, a year list of the meds I've been on when I switched to my new doctor. It was six pages printed. Oh man. Six pages. Yeah. I honestly, I remember how excited I used to just get in, in the thick of my uh, flare ups when I just had a cold. It's just a cold. I know. I go to work like a champ. Strep throat, I'm here. Like I got a normal person's I have disease a normal person. or issue. Yeah, it's I'm, not. I'm sick like a normal person. So, and that, that segues into another thing that I think at some point we both agreed we wanted to talk about, which is parents yes. and family support and the groups. way they, the, yeah, support that they give us, but also how the disease and or IBD dealing with uh, a family member, a child mm. who has Crohn's or yeah, giving that support. I think. Particularly now for me as a parent, I have a, a nine-year-old girl and she thankfully shows no signs of suffering from Knock IBD or wood. Crohn's. Yep. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, it has put me, given me this interesting perspective on what my own parents must have gone through, what my own mother must have gone through. The heartache. And I, yeah. And I realized that she had, a, her life was interrupted by the disease as well. Yeah. And she aged significantly because she was my advocate. She was my champion. She got all the answers. And it, and we were dealing with it at a time when there was far less known about yeah. Crohn's disease. I, I remember driving myself to the hospital, going to eMERGE, and not even telling my parents that I was in eMERGE until I knew for sure that they were admitting me. Because I, I hated what it did to them. Yeah. And they were so strong. You know, my mom is a hero. She would come to the hospital and I couldn't get out of bed, so they'd put me in a wheelchair, and I'm really big on making sure my hair is washed. Okay. okay? Mm -hmm. I do not like oily <laughs> hair. It makes me uncomfortable. I can't sleep. I'm losing my mind. She would wash my hair in the hospital sinks. Um, she was by my side the whole time. My dad deals with having a sick daughter differently than my mom. Uh, my dad doesn't want to show that he is being affected by this in a way that makes him emotional. So he's the guy who comes to the hospital and fixes the revolving door because right. it's broken. Right. He's the one who he stays busy. He stays busy at the hospital. He comes in with his toolbox. The nurses just let him do his thing. You know, he has to stay busy. Mm -hmm. he, he's got to tell me a new thing. And I know that about my dad. And 
it, it kills me that my mom and my dad yeah. and my brother, my brother, tough guy, you know, doesn't show emotion, big burly dude. And my brother comes and he doesn't speak really. He doesn't ask a lot of questions. His girlfriend asks me the questions and he just listens. He wants to be in the room when people are asking questions so he can hear the answer. And my brother is the guy who cleans the tape off my arms. Because when you're in the hospital, when I'm changing my IV all the time, my veins are not cooperating, I'm right. dehydrated, all these things. He's the one who takes the tape off my arm. That's so beautiful. Yeah, you know, and I know that may seem so insignificant to some people, but it means the world to me. Oh, I can't, I, I mean, it, it gives me a lump in my throat, really, because yeah. he just wants yeah. to help and he just wants to be connected somehow. Yeah. So when I met my partner, you know, we live together now, and there's no hiding. No yeah. hiding Crohn's no, disease. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough to keep it a secret. And we're in a condo. We only have one toilet, you know? And uh, that takes some scheduling. Yeah. <laughs> but it must also really, um, it, it, I mean, it's humbling. I, I go through the same thing. I, I have a house in East Toronto. We also have only one bathroom. That's it. It's a process of becoming comfortable and revealing this is who I am and learning to not apologize for it. It's not something you asked for. This is why I like doing this podcast with you because you're somebody who's had surgery. You're somebody who has been struggling since you were a child mm -hmm. and you're in remission now. It is possible. You feel good now. It is possible. And that knowing that that exists when you're going through something like myself or anybody yeah. who's listening, yeah. knowing that it is possible, knowing that you could have surgery and still be okay, knowing that you could be a mom, knowing that you could have a job, knowing that you can do all of these things and still be okay, is the story sometimes we need to hear in addition to the shitty ones. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And on that note, I think we should wrap it up for today. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I hope you've enjoyed uh, hearing a little bit about our story. Yes, we'd love to have you listen in in the future. We're hoping that this podcast is going to give you strength. Um, it's going to help you not feel alone. Just know that being positive and having strength and so important. is so important. And yeah. knowing your disease. Don't ever hide it. Don't ever push it aside. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And on that note... We say goodbye for this episode, and uh, we hope you'll join us next time on Guts and Glory. Yes, peace out, everyone. Strength and positive thoughts. Keep on keeping on. <laughs>